This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by the Focused Leader Masterclass, an online course to help focus your leadership and deliver greater results. Find out more at leadto.win slash masterclass. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And in this episode, we're talking about the drift and how to avoid it. Yeah, you know, when we talk about the drift, we're talking about that kind of unseen uh, force in our life that just pulls us to a place without our intention or um, any real decision on our part, usually to a place that we would not have chosen. Uh, and that probably is not positive. I mean, you don't usually drift somewhere that you're like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. You know, that's not normally Very how rare. it works. Um, normally, when you drift, it leads you to a place of regret. And that's usually caused by busyness and inattention and just kind of the demands of our time. Um, but over time, we can end up um, just feeling like, you know, time has passed and we've wasted it and we've missed out on opportunities. And so today we have three questions to help you avoid the drift and instead live with intention. And we're going to bring in Larry Wilson, our writer for the show, to help guide us through this content. Larry? Hey guys, I'm excited about this topic because I think I, like probably everybody, have drifted into locations or destinations that you kind of wake up and say, wait a minute, how did I get here? We talk so much about living with intention and focus, but I'm guessing you probably have experienced this too, or else we wouldn't be talking about it. Well, I've experienced it in a lot of areas of my life. You know, I've experienced it in my health when I ended up, you know, out of shape or uh, whatever. I've also experienced it with debt. And I grew up probably like a lot of people did with not a lot of formal financial instruction from my parents. And I don't mean that as a, as a bad thing, because frankly, I didn't give my kids much financial instruction. And neither do our, do our schools. You know, you'd, you'd think simple things like learning to balance your checkbook, you know, uh, the, the, the use of debt or the non-use of debt, if you're a Dave Ramsey fan like I am. But I didn't get any of that. So after we got married, uh, we had two incomes and suddenly found ourselves with people throwing credit cards at us. You know, it's like they just would show up in the mail and you're like, oh, free money. And I didn't, I, I mean, I should have known better, but uh, Gail and I didn't set out and say, let's see if we can get ourselves at a level of debt that is impossible to service and really frustrates us and scares us and keeps us awake at night. We didn't do that. What we did was we bought this little thing on a credit card, and we bought that little thing on a credit card. And before long, uh, collectively on our credit cards, we owed several thousand dollars. And we realized that just servicing that debt was a huge pain, that we were spending more every month than we had to spend. And so when we woke up to that fact, we had to get really serious about getting out of debt. And it wasn't easy. In fact, uh, it led to uh, one of my first meetings with Dave Ramsey back when he was actually seeing individuals. But Gail set this up without my knowledge. And we had met Dave. We'd become friends. And so she set up with a, a meeting with Dave. And I didn't know that I was going to a meeting with Dave until I was on the way oh to the gosh. meeting with Dave. And I showed up in the meeting with him. And he was incredibly gracious and very generous and, and made me not feel like such an idiot because I totally felt like an idiot. But that was a situation where I had drifted into that. One little decision at a time, 
And I ended up at a destination that I would have never chosen had my eyes been fully open uh, at the very beginning. And this can happen in any area of our life, but it can also happen within our entire life. And those are the kinds of situations we, we want to address today. Well, the stakes can be kind of high on this. You're, you know, debt is nothing to play around with, no. as you know, and, and I'm sure the stakes can be high for a business owner or for an executive as well. I mean, I think it can happen, you know, in your business where you just kind of lose track of the things that are important. You get sucked into the day-to-day minutia of of running a business or operating a business, and you take your eye off the goals. And all of a sudden, you know, it's the end of the year, and you're nowhere near where you thought you would have ended up, Um, whether that's financially or projects that you hope to complete. It's a terrible feeling. And And it's really easy to happen, especially the more complex your life gets, I think. It can be just a, a real wake-up call. You know, it's a funny thing, too, is it's not just negative things. So sometimes it's opportunities. You know, we get overwhelmed by these right. opportunities. They pull us off course. We chase, chase that shiny object. And before long, we're just we're completely off course from where we intended to go. Mm-hmm. Well, our theme today is that you can choose your future or the drift is going to choose it for you. We want to show people how to avoid winding up at a destination that you never chose. Mm -hmm. So here are three critical questions. Let's get to them. The first one, how do you want to be remembered? This is kind of the ultimate test. And by the way, uh, the first two questions we're going to talk about are in my book with Daniel Harkavy called Living Forward. So this is, I go into great lengths at this, and it's in the context of your entire life. But this is kind of following the admonition of Dr. Stephen Covey, and actually before him, Michael Gerber, in his book, The E-Myth Revisited, who talked about visualizing your funeral and going to the end, you know, start with the end in mind. Well, your funeral is kind of the ultimate end, you know, at least in this life. So to go to that and ask yourself the question, how do I want to be remembered? And the reason that's important is because it kind of puts everything in context. You know, every time I've been to a funeral and... I don't know, maybe I've been to a couple dozen funerals in my life, maybe not that many, uh, although I do see the pace of them increasing as I get older. But uh, every time I've been to a funeral, you know, it just dials in a sense of perspective. You go, you know, at the end of the day, what's important? Mm -hmm. And that gives you context, needed context, when you're going through life and you're trying to make decisions. What is it I'm trying to accomplish if you're thinking in a business context? What does it look like when it's built? What is the business I'm trying to build or the organization I'm trying to build? In the context of your life, I don't want to be remembered by the people at my funeral. Probably none of them are going to care that I was putting in 80-hour weeks, mm-hmm. right? What they're going to care about is that I make those relationships uh, important. And so I really advise, Daniel and I advise in the book, Living Forward, that you literally write this out like your eulogy. What do you want people Imagine your funeral. If they were to stand up, various constituencies, like what would I want my spouse to say or my significant other? What would I want my kids to say? What would I want my coworkers to say? And literally write out a paragraph, how would I want to be remembered? That will help combat the drift like nothing else. And I've got a quote from Steve Jobs, and then I want to get making your response to this. But Steve Jobs said this, and it was very interesting that this quote came from a speech I think he gave a couple months before he actually died or knew that he was going to die from pancreatic cancer. He said, quote, almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important, 
Remembering that you're going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. There is no reason not to follow your heart. Mm. End quote. It's a great quote. I find this particular question uh, really profound and convicting um, because the truth is at your funeral, probably no one's going to talk about your business accomplishments Right. At all. I mean, the people that are going to speak at your at your funeral are probably not the people that work for you. They're probably not your clients. They're probably your family and your close friends. And hopefully, you have those relationships. And I think this is particularly important if you're a high achiever, if you're a leader, if you've been successful, because it's easy to get this backwards and you play to the wrong audience and you trick yourself into thinking um, kind of passively that it's the other group of people that are going to be talking about you in the end. And they're not, you know, what the, the people you want up there um, that really matter. And we'll get into this in the next question, you know, are, are your family and friends and are you appropriately tending to those relationships and nurturing and cultivating those, uh, those relationships with those people that matter most? I would argue even your clients and your coworkers, if they do speak at your funeral, they're not going to be talking about your business. Right. They're not going to say, man, he grew by, you know, 50% last year. Can you believe it? Nobody cares. Nobody cares about that kind of stuff. And, and I, I should point out too, that the opposite of the drift is design. Mm-hmm. So it's living with intention. It's designing your life. And in this case, when we're talking about how do we want to be remembered, you can engineer that. In other words, if I want to be remembered Uh, by Gail, my wife, to whom I've been married for 41 years, if I want to be remembered by her as a loving spouse, then I can design my life. So uh, even today, I was just thinking about this. We came home from the gym and I opened the door for her. You know, I want her to remember that I honored her, even in the little small things. I mean, it's a little, little thing, but that's informed by how I want to be remembered by her. And it's the sequence of all those little actions like that, that add up to her remembering me in a way that I would be proud of. Megan, I've got a question for you. A a couple of weeks ago now, maybe a little longer, we had a a podcast in which you talked about your fear of public speaking. Right. And you made a statement something like this. You said, I determined not to let my fear limit my life and my Mm -hmm. opportunities. Mm -hmm. So it seems like we're just kind of afraid of the wrong things. Yeah. Is that accurate? I think it is accurate. You know, I I think part of the conversation in my head when I was deciding to finally face that fear and overcome it um, was this isn't how I want to be remembered. I don't want to be remembered uh, and I don't want to stand for letting fear drive my life. You know, there are too many important things that I have to accomplish, particularly for the sake of other people, to let that be the driver for me. So I I think that's a really important point to consider. And that's a good example of something that I did not intentionally choose that had been a very powerful force in my life up to that point. Well, we're talking about how you want to be remembered. And Michael, I found this line from a tombstone. I would have thought you wrote it, except the the wrong number is here. It says, raised four beautiful daughters with only one bathroom, and still there was love. (laughs) (laughs) As a father of five daughters, can you relate to that? I totally can relate to that. Thank God we did not only have one bathroom. That That would be saintly. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, let's move on to question two. 
that every leader must ask to avoid the drift, and that question is this, what is important to me? Mm-hmm. So the first question is really about legacy. This question is about priorities. And it's easy to see what other people's priorities should be. I mean, it's it's obvious when somebody's priorities are out of whack, like, you know, she's working too hard. Why doesn't she give more attention to her family? Or why don't they make time for God or whatever it is? But it takes a lot of self-awareness to ask your own self, what are my priorities? And literally rank them. Because inevitably, you're going to get in a situation where you've got to choose. And just a quick story, in the midst of the recession, I needed a vacation. And I'd cleared it with my board. And Gail and I were leaving, flying to Colorado to spend some time in the in the mountains there. And we had a uh, stopover in Dallas. And I got a message from my board that said, hey, sorry to impose this upon you, but we need to come to the office next week. And they knew I was, I was headed out on vacation and I had to make a choice that was a choice about priorities. Because first of all, it was a choice for self-care, which we'll come back to that in a second because that's a very important priority for me. Secondly, it was a choice for my marriage because Gail needed some tender loving care because I'd been working far too hard in the middle of the recession, just trying to keep the company afloat. And so I had to make the decision, do I go back to Nashville and scuttle the vacation or do I keep going forward and take the vacation? And if I had not had my priorities written and had a clear ranking of those priorities, I wouldn't have been able to choose. But I was able to choose. And by, by the way, there was plenty of times when I didn't choose so well. But this was a situation where I did choose well because I could answer the question, what's important to me? What was important to me is my own psychological and physical health and spiritual health. What was important to me was my wife and my family. And that ranked far ahead of my job and my career. Were you afraid of getting fired or afraid of some fallout? I was scared to death. I, I realized it was one of those moments in, the, in my career history, and it didn't happen very often, but it was one of those moments where I thought, you know, I could be betting the farm here. This, this could be the end of my, my career. And at this time, I was the CEO of a very prominent um, company. And, you know, I, I was pretty confident that there wasn't another job. There's not a lot of jobs out there. So if I lost this job, you know, it'd be, be tough. But yeah, it was just one of those things that mattered enough. I wasn't going to just drift into what was expected. Because again, to kind of go back to the first question, probably the people that were making that request wouldn't be at my funeral, but Gail would. And my family would. And so I wanted to make the right choice. This comes up a lot for me uh, with my kids, you know, and kind of the tension between work and family, um, where I make a decision on most days to shut off work so that I can be present for the kids or on the weekends to sit down and play a game when I'd with the kids when I'd rather, you know, have some time to myself. And certainly all those things I'm talking about are important, but, you know, both the question of how do I want to be remembered and what's important to me cause me to prioritize things that are not in the moment expedient, you know, or even necessarily what feels good. Um, and, and what, ultimately is going to matter to me, you know, is my family and my marriage and my health, my faith, all those kinds of things, you know, we're really making choices in, in the day-to-day moments of our life to do something other than what the, the natural current that, that's underneath all of us would pull us into doing. Well, you, you really can't have two number one priorities. Right. That's right. Would you mind sharing, each of you, how you rank these various areas of your life? 
You know, in the book Living Forward, we talk about these various areas of your life as life accounts. And I've talked about them in your best year ever as the various domains of your life. But here's my ranking, and this is in the order. First of all, for me, God. You know, that's my number one allegiance, and everything else is a distant second. But this is the surprising one. I put myself in second place. Now, the reason I do that is I really can't be of much use to any other of the priorities of my life if I don't take care of myself. So there's got to be an appropriate level of self-care, but it's not self-care that's selfish. It's not just so, you know, I, I say, I want to enjoy my comfort. I want to be, you know, okay with myself. No, it's in order to serve other people. Let me stop you right there because I have a question about that second priority. I hear you. And as someone who knows you, I can see that you're an unselfish person, but not everybody's going to get that. Mm-hmm. And when they realize you're making choices to uh, take care of yourself by refusing, flexing your no muscle, refusing to do other things, that's going to come across as selfish. Have you encountered that? And how do you deal with it? Yeah, I think it, it depends on how you uh, couch it. You know, like for me, for example, working out is very important. So that means I don't take coffee meetings in the morning or breakfast meetings in the morning, you know, I just say no to that stuff because I want to say yes to uh, staying in good health because I'm not going to be of use to anyone if I'm sick or if I'm incapacitated in some way. So I feel like I, I have this stewardship over my body and the importance of keeping it alive and well so that I can serve. Now, I don't go through that whole thing when I refuse to have breakfast with somebody. I simply try to move that into another slot that's more convenient for me so that I can uh, protect that morning ritual, which includes my exercise. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure it does. So God, self. Then Gail, and then my kids, and then my work, and then ministry. I'm very active in my church, and I have a ministry there. But I see that coming last because I'm only going to have ministry to the extent that I'm successful in these other domains. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like if my if my family's falling apart, uh, or my health is falling apart, that's going to restrict uh, my my ability to have an effective impact on other people. That's really good. Mine are the same. I don't uh, have a ministry focus right now. My <laughs> my four children are my ministry uh, at this very moment it's in my life. One. Yeah, it is a good one. Um, but for the same reason, you know. But but what those the ranking of those priorities causes me to do is, for example, I don't with any regularity. I mean, it's probably at the most once a month, if not once every quarter, take a dinner meeting for work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's usually only if I'm interviewing a potential direct report, which very infrequently happens. Um, but that's because it's really important for me to be home to put my kids to bed. Um, also, Joel and I have a date night on Thursdays. You know, that's really important. And therefore, we don't do other, you know, things on that night. Similarly, with my kids, you know, they don't get my attention after 730 at night unless they're sick. Um, you know, it's kind of like, that's your bedtime. Good night. Because that's part of my self-care. That's what I'm doing, my evening ritual. Um, and that's and getting to bed on time. And that's really important for me to be able to serve them well. Um, so I'm not going to let them encroach on that time. So, you know, you're, you're using this to make decisions, this ranking of these things that are important to you in this question, um, to make very daily practical decisions about how how you're going to spend your time and invest it well. And this goes back again to design versus drifting. Right. You know, when you have a set of priorities uh, in line, now you can design your life, you can make decisions in the moment, and you can avoid that deadly drift. Because if you let the kids, for example, take control of that time after 730, 
then you're going to drift into some things you probably don't want to have happen. Right. Or if I prioritize bedtime with them over my marriage, then, you know, Joel and I wouldn't be going on a date night every week. So that ranking is important. It helps you make those decisions in real life. Somebody said to me one time about my marriage, they said, the best gift you can ever give your kids is to love your spouse. Yep. And I think that's true. Mm -hmm. And so because I love my kids, they come after my wife. Hey, everybody, Mike Boyer here with a question. Are you a subscriber to Lead to Win? It's simple and easy and will ensure you get this great content delivered straight to your device every week. If you need help subscribing, check the subscribe link in the show notes at lead2.win. And special thanks goes to all those who have left a rating or review of the podcast on iTunes. This week, a shout out goes to Mike Kelly Online. Mike writes, even as a mid-level manager, I have been able to continually use the content offered through this podcast to become a better leader in the Navy. Mike, that's great to hear. And thank you so much for sharing. Next week, more listener reviews. Now, back to the show. Well, to avoid drift, three critical questions. The first, how do I want to be remembered? The second, what's important to me? And the third, what single brave decision do I need to make today? Is Brene Brown going to be a guest on this show today? <laughs> I, I didn't know. We're going to channel her. Fun. We'd love to have you. <laughs> I love this question so much, um, partly because I've used it personally over and over again. Um, I just have a really low tolerance for allowing fear to be the boss of my life, you know, as my kids would say. Um, it, it turns out to be a really bad and tyrannical boss, and you don't usually go somewhere that you want to end up um, when it's driving the bus to kind of mix the metaphor. So um, once you have clarity on these first two questions, how do you want to be remembered and what's important to me, you need to have courage and commitment to execute on the knowledge of those two things. Um, and, you know, most people have to make some kind of brave decision every day to stay in alignment with our priorities and to live a life that is um, not happening uh, by default or drift, but is really being designed. Um, and so that looks like difficult conversations, whether you're having to say no, whether you're having to confront someone, you know, you're probably going to have to have a difficult conversation. I would say at least once a week, um, if you count my family, it's definitely every day, you know, I'm having a difficult conversation with one of my kids on a daily basis. But, but usually in the context of our business, it's happening on a weekly basis with someone. And not always negative. It's just, you know, I'm having to be brave and uh, step out of my comfort zone. And I think that's the big idea here is that if you're going to live a life of intention, you're going to have to live largely out of your comfort zone. You're not going to be able to just do what comes naturally or what feels comfortable. You're going to have to do the things are, that are important. And that means you're going to take some risks. Um, it could be a big risk, you know, like I've talked extensively about deciding to face my fear of public speaking, um, or it could be a small risk, you know, just saying no, that you're not going to accept another trip because you've already been gone, uh, from your, you know, your family and business trips more than is whatever, you know, kind of your threshold and that violates your priorities. Um, we're saying no to a friend, you know, that, um, we're, we're just going to have to constantly fight the current that tries to pull us back in, um, away from the direction we're trying to steer our life. You know, there's, you're always going to be going against the current of the drift. 
Um, and it's, it's helpful if you remember that and then ask yourself that question on a daily basis, you know, what brave decision do I need to make today? And it just brings it into sharp reality. It does. You know, I don't, I don't think of myself as a brave or courageous person. I have done things in the past that were brave and courageous, but I I don't think it's my natural bent. Yeah, me either. But it, it kind of, I'm more scared of not taking these brave actions than I am of doing them. So for example, one of the things that I love that Jim Rohn talks about is the law of diminishing intent. Mm -hmm. In fact, we, uh, Daniel and I end the book Living Forward on this note. But whenever you get clarity about something, when you get clarity about your legacy by asking the question, how do you want to be remembered? Or clarity about your priorities, what's important to me? It's important to take action, to act in, in light of, the, of, of that clarity, because the law of diminishing intent, again, from Jim Rohn, says that if you don't act immediately when you, can, when you have that clarity, chances are, as time goes on, you're less likely to act. Mm-hmm. And, and what always scares me in a moment of clarity, like I have to have a very difficult conversation tomorrow night with a family member that I'm kind of a, just this undercurrent of dread on my part. I know I got to have it. I'm going to have it. But I know that if I, if I put that off, if I said, well, maybe I'll do it in another week. Right. Less likely to happen. Mm-hmm. I've got the clarity now. I want to take advantage of that momentum. And I want to make that that single brave decision, which I've already set it up. There's no way I can back out now. But I've, I've made the decision. It's a great hack, by the way. What's that? Commit yourself. Yes. In the moment of, you know, your your kind of moment of clarity, make an irreversible commitment. Yep. That helps. And that's exactly what I did in this situation. So this stuff's important. It's really important. I think you said something that our listeners need to hear in case, you know, they just kind of skipped past it. And that is that you don't consider yourself a brave person. Mm. And I don't consider myself a particularly brave person. I don't think, you know, naturally I have some kind of history of, um, you know, just having some giftedness in this area. I don't think this is an area of giftedness. I think it's an area that's developed and it's a skill that you learn um, how to be brave. You just practice it and you keep doing it. And it begins with uh, knowing and accepting the reality that your life will require bravery if it's going to count. Um, and and by bravery, I mean doing stuff that's uncomfortable that you don't want to do for the sake of something greater. And that's really all courage is usually. And that you're going to just have to do that over and over again instead of being like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe, you know, I've got to do this brave thing and I don't want to. If you just sort of know, yep, here we go again. It's another brave thing I've got to do. That's just part of life. It's much easier to get yourself on board. Don't you find also that... Uh, and this is really informed by my faith, frankly, and that is that sometimes we kind of project ourselves into the future when when something brave is required, but what we don't count on is the grace of God in that moment. Yeah. So what I've often found is that in those moments that require me to do something brave or to say something brave or whatever, that God meets me in the midst of that and gives me the resources I need so that I don't have totally. to, so I'm not left on my own. Yes. Actually, I had never thought about that until you, um, I think, brought it up to me recently in the last, sometime in the last year. And it was like a new idea to me that, you know, because I'm so futuristic and I have a lot of anxiety about the future. I like love the future, but I have an equal measure of anxiety about it, you know, and I can really kind of get tangled up in thinking about it. And the truth is, is that I'm always just projecting myself 
alone, alone in the future. Right. And that's never how it works out. Not only does God meet you there, but, you know, all kinds of people meet you there, presumably, you know, through his providence. And uh, resources show up that you could have never anticipated, so and true. it's fine. So, Well, Michael, I have uh, been a visitor in your office, and as I recall, there is only one framed motivational saying, and it goes like this, being brave means doing it scared. Yeah. Yeah. Did you come up with that or was that something you read? No, I'm I'm confident I didn't come up with it. Um, I've heard a lot of people use it and a lot of people try to take credit for it, but it's true regardless. And it's like most things that are true, you know, they become self-evident when somebody says it, everybody starts saying it, but it's really true. Doing it scared. Well, today we've learned that you can choose your future or the drift is going to choose it for you. And to stay out of that destination you never wanted to be in, there are three questions that you need to ask yourself. One, how do I want to be remembered? Two, what's important to me? And three, what single brave decision do I need to make today? Pretty heavy stuff today, guys. Mm -hmm. any, any final thoughts to wrap it up with? Well, I mean, it, these are heavy questions. These are big questions, but they're so worth asking because the alternative is regret. And I think that is the thing that most of us are more afraid of than anything else is getting to the end when it's too late to do anything about it, whether that's the end of your life or, you know, an estranged relationship um, and not being able to fix it because you weren't intentional on the front end. So whatever it costs uh, emotionally or in terms of your courage to ask these questions and then act on the answers, it's far less than what it will cost you to live with regret. Yeah. Another way to say that is it's never easier to change the trajectory of your life than right now. You know, if you wait till things get further out of alignment or till you hit a health crisis or, you know, a, a relational crisis, then sometimes it's not only more difficult to fix, it's irreparable. And so it's never been easier than right now. And, and again, just, you know, our book, again, with Daniel Harkavy, Living Forward is a book about this entire topic. And it's really a book about how to design your life and create, and this is the tool we share in the book, a life plan. And a lot of people talk about that, but we spell it out in meticulous detail. And I really think if if the people listening to this will get that book and commit to creating a life plan, doesn't fix everything, but it'll set you on the path of figuring out how do you want to be remembered, what's important to you, and what are the actions you need to take to get there. Well, along with other resources mentioned on the show today, we'll have a link to Living Forward in the show notes. And thank you guys for sharing a very insightful topic today. Thanks, Larry. And thank you guys for joining us on Lead to Win. And join us next time when we're going to tell you why you must confront seemingly indispensable but disrespectful team members. Until then, Lead to Win. Thanks for listening to Lead to Win. Because you decided to stick around until the very end of this episode, we want to give you a treat. If you head to focusleader.com slash masterclass and use the promo code 50, you'll get $50 off our brand new course, the Focus Leader Masterclass. Again, that's 50, all words, no numbers or spaces. Use it at focusleader.com slash masterclass. We're excited for you to upgrade your leadership with this class. Again, thanks for listening.